How financially secure do you feel? Imagine a tool to help you make smart financial decisions. A tool that factors in all your financial data and shows what you can safely spend every year for the rest of your life. That tool is Hello, Maxify, uh, powerful, accurate, and easy to use. Developed today, by Boston University economist to, uh, Lawrence Kotlikoff, Maxify takes the guesswork out of financial Jonathan, decisions at every uh, stage of life. Time, Maxify uh, calculates what you can afford to spend now uh, and throughout retirement. Uh, and you can run what-if scenarios to see how your finances might change by taking a new job, buying a home, or downsizing. Knowing the impact before you decide lets you make smarter decisions so you can finally enjoy financial peace of mind. Are you ready? Visit Maxify.com today to start planning. That's Maxify with an I. M-A-X-I-F-I. Maxify.com. Prepare for today. But I want to give you uh, a little bit of his background. And, and Jonathan, I'm very proud to say, was uh, my grad student, as well as a grad student at Bodhi. And uh, yeah, he had other advisors. But um, we, we certainly are very proud of Jonathan as a Boston University uh, PhD in economics grad student. I would uh, rank Jonathan. I've had a, a zillion grad students over the years. And certainly, Jonathan is among the top Five in terms of mathematical uh, abilities, he's the top top one. He he surpassed everybody on the faculty in terms of his mathematical skills and they uh, and, and his ability to handle uh, mathematical financed. Um, the um, uh, Jonathan's uh, so as I said, he's the founder of uh, Trusari Capital Management. It's a registered investment advisory. Um, operates as a fiduciary for its clients. He's had a lot of academic experience, got a great pedigree, practical experience. If you look at the prior podcast, you'll get a longer intro into, into uh, Jonathan's pretty uh, interesting evolution from running away from home from in Paris at a, like age eight, 17 to busing on the um, streets of LA playing guitar to going to Santa Monica Junior College, to getting into UCLA, to excelling, to getting a P into the PhD program at Boston University. And then he worked for uh, the Ziff family in New York um, on the risk management team, handling, helping this a very uh, well-to-do, well-off family that has a lot of money that has to be handled. Uh, and uh, he then uh, started working uh, and worked for many years at Research Associates, a $150 billion quantitative global asset management manager. Um, he served as partner and, and head of product, uh, driving the, the firm's product strategy across all asset classes and across the globe. Uh, and uh, before that, he worked as a senior vice president for the Irvine uh, Company's investment fund in Newport Beach, California. So that's where he currently hangs out. Again, he has a PhD from Boston University um, and a BA in economics and international study from UCLA, graduated summa cum laude in with honors in college. And uh, he's taught investment courses at uh, MIT uh, and uh, uh, he worked as a research assistant for Nobel Prize winning uh, economist and finance expert, Bob Merton. You can't uh, get a better education in finance than at the hands of Bob Merton. Uh, Paul Samuelson referred to Merton as the Isaac Newton of finance. So uh, Jonathan's the author of numerous articles and has a lot of media exposure. Um, and uh, I think what you'll see and what you saw before is that Jonathan has a new rare ability to translate difficult complex, complex concepts into uh, everyday language and uh, to, to convey the economics of um, what we're talking about. So Jonathan, welcome and and thank you. Let's, hear, let's have you uh, tell us about uh, ask the question, are we ready for 2024? Yeah, so, I'm, uh, I'm not sure that anybody's ready, but um... Uh, thank you, Larry. And, and first and foremost, uh, I, two things. One is I promise this will not be uh, a math class, uh, despite your your describing me as a, a, a math guy. Um, so um, 
definitely uh, stay tuned for for non-mathy talk uh and to everything you described about my my past uh none none of it is is possible without people like you uh people like Svi Bodhi people like Earl Thompson at UCLA so I, I just want you to know that your mentorship uh is a gift uh you know that pays long dividends every day so anyway uh but um yeah I've been I've been uh talking to a, a number of groups about 2024 and, and how to think about uh the world that we're that we're facing the world that we're entering um and you know what's interesting is whenever we talk about uh being a you know a fairly skilled a successful investor people very quickly describe uh such people that such people as seeing around corners uh and of course uh you know the idea is is something related to, to predicting the future and of course there is no such thing as seeing around corners um you know physics will tell you that the angle of the angle and and it's going to be really hard uh to bend uh light beams when you feel like it uh but but instead what we can do is is you know prepare uh and think long and hard about the scenarios that that we, we might be facing number one uh and to um you know adopt uh procedures and in an institutional structure that would allow you to actually respond quickly so you know again as i think about 2024 uh, and sadly, the the parallel uh, is 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 relevant given the amount of geopolitical tensions we're we're seeing around the world. Um, if you think about urban urban warfare uh, and the idea of of military personnel actually turning corners uh, behind enemy lines, uh, you know, preparation and 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 kind of preconditioning responses is probably the way to to best think about that. But look, if we're lucky uh, in in the business that that I'm in, um, uh, investing, wealth management, um, and, and just to to touch on that, uh, Trussard Capital Management um, really is uh, the sum total of of my experience and and my education for the benefit of of, of clients in wealth management. Uh, and if you ask me, um, you know, who my clients are, uh, I think they have three distinguishing uh, attributes. One is they actually want an investment professional, uh, not a relationship manager. Uh, so if you're looking for, you know, a steak dinner and a golf outing, I'm sure somebody else can do better than I, but I've been in the business of investing for 20 years. Um, number two, um, as you said, I act as a fiduciary. And so a huge part of it is I'm going to be on, on your side of the table. Uh, and that's something that my clients want. Uh, and, and, and three, someone who's going to empower, uh, you know, you with, with knowledge. And I think that's what today's about is just sharing my perspective. If I want to get cute for what it's worth, I, I tell people that I help uh, people and organizations escape the uh, wealth management industrial complex, but that's uh, for, you know, for the last track. Um, but anyway, um, again, as an investor, uh, you know, there's this kind of virtuous cycle, which is basically you get to do this long enough, you get experience, hopefully you're open-minded and you're curious and, and you just kind of repeat the exercise. So um, why am I not super excited about, you know, one and done predictions? Because uh, being a prediction jockey is is kind of a setup uh, for disappointment. Uh, we were promised a, a recession in 2023. We were promised a uh, an inflation price wage doom loop, and we were told um, that you know we probably should be going down the path of T bill and chill uh, because the stock market was due for a, a massive uh, decline. Yeah, we had Jamie Dimon in June uh, uh, and Larry Summers uh, uh, predicting. Well, Jamie Dimon said we're, there's going to be a uh it's a tsunami or yeah uh, that's coming and they asked him well when and how big he said well i don't know but it's coming and then and then we had people from goldman sachs in the fall saying the same not quite those words but um uh and then larry summers the former treasury secretary piping in i wonder whether you have and then switching you know quickly switching uh uh angles but not necessarily saying hey i was wrong don't listen to me again it's rather well uh listen to this part of me this this version of me not the old version of me it's like uh, i remember ed lemer at ucla said that a good way to become an investment a successful investment advisor is to send like a uh, 
half a million uh, prescription uh, prognoses out by, let's say, you know, by mail, tell half the people the market's going to fail, the other half it's going to succeed. The ones you get the right, you know, send the right card to, then yeah. that group you, uh, again, the next month you send out another, you know, up and down set of cards and you keep going with a with a winning set of cards. And by the end of a couple of years, people believe you're, you know, the Oracle of Delphi. And uh, now you've got a client set. And uh, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. no, I know. I, I love that, that, uh, you know, the one of the things that people talk about is, um, and again, this is a different business from the business I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm assisting, uh, you know, uh, clients one portfolio at a time uh, but in the asset management world uh we often talk about um uh the fact that firms actually will start you know 10 strategies uh incubate them in-house because they know that after three years at least one of them is going to have a decent track record they can sell um and so it's the same idea you may not be selling the you know may not be uh, mailing out the postcards but they're, you know, you're cooking a bunch of, of meals in the back room and hoping that one of them, you know, tastes half decent. Um, so that's 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 absolutely right. Um, and the point is, this is all random. That Eventually, one of these things, you know, one of these is going to pay off by random luck, but that doesn't mean they're going to pay off in the future. Right. So, but meanwhile, you've got your clients. But yeah, paying, paying for your for your lunch. That's uh, right. Yeah. But yeah, no. So I mean, obviously, you know, as you as we just discussed, um, predictions at a, a rough go last year. Uh, instead, what did we get? We got an economy that was, you know, shockingly strong. Uh, GDP, obviously, GDP numbers have been updated uh, now since Q3. But the U.S. economy has probably grown by some version of what six hundred and fifty billion dollars uh, in real terms last year. Uh, and we've produced, you know, some version of, of 2 million jobs, uh, which is not consistent with um, whatever Jamie Dimon described, even though, again, he's arguably one of the smartest and, and even uh, perhaps more objectively one of the best informed uh, humans there, uh, there is on, on the economy. Um, we know the stock market went up uh, a huge amount last year. Um, and, and importantly, um, in liquid markets anyway, it was kind of hard to, to lose money. If you look at 2023, um, the only kind of main asset class that actually managed to lose money was, was Chinese equities. And, and again, that's kind of a funny thing because we walked into 2023 uh, with the assumption that, you know, China was going to show us how to do post-COVID. Uh, and of course, their economy is, is really struggling and their stock market has managed to erase, you know, at some version of $6 trillion. So, um, you know, so much for, for predictions. And Japanese equ equities, uh, is, this shows suggests that 20% increase in, uh, that's, um, you know, given that uh, from like the late 80s to uh, for the next 30 years, the Japanese market never rebounded. Everybody yeah. says that the, uh, the stock market is um, a sure bet over the long term. Stocks are safe for the long term. And of course, Svi Bodhi, your mentor and father-in-law and my close colleague and friend forever um, has been arguing that stocks are not safe uh, for the long run, um, especially if you're taking money out uh, through time and you're yeah. suffering a sequence of return risk. But anyway, go ahead. No, and that's exactly right. And again, by the way, if you look at the you know the the longer term, and obviously we're we're barely looking at ten years. This doesn't even qualify as long term, but. The, uh, you know, the annualized figures on the right, um, U.S. equities did extraordinarily well relative to just about everything else over that course of time. And, and some people might might conclude that that's all the proof they needed uh, when, of course, we know uh, that in the in the best of cases, uh, that's not something you should kind of project forward. Uh, and in the worst of cases, uh, what this might be evidence of is, is uh, you know, really stretched valuations on the back of, of a handful of companies in, in U.S. tech. How financially secure do you feel? Imagine a tool to help you make smart financial decisions, a tool that factors in all your financial data and shows what you can safely spend every year for the rest of your life. That tool is Maxify. 
powerful, accurate, and easy to use. Developed by Boston University economist Lawrence Kotlikoff, Maxify takes the guesswork out of financial decisions at every stage of life. Maxify calculates what you can afford to spend now and throughout retirement. And you can run what-if scenarios to see how your finances might change by taking a new job, buying a home, or downsizing. Knowing the impact before you decide lets you make smarter decisions so you can finally enjoy financial peace of mind. Are you ready? Visit Maxify.com today to start planning. That's Maxify with an I. M-A-X-I-F-I. Maxify.com. Um, so, by the way, just back on that, yeah. slide, the annualized, is, like, is that like the average across the... the Correct. Uh, the, Correct. The yeah. I see. And... Uh, so, uh, and this is all in real terms, right? Uh, no, this is nominal. Nominal. So real yeah. terms, it might be a little bit, a little bit lower and a little bit different. Correct. Especially right. with debt, because uh, debt could have been actually a negative over this, given the uh, inflation we've just experienced, right? Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Okay. Uh, speaking of inflation, again, I mean, it's it's uh, we yeah. actually probably got uh, our closest version of an immaculate uh, disinflation last year. Um, with PCE inflation coming down to, you know, something that feels a lot more manageable, obviously. And, and as far as the, the, you know, person on the street, even gas prices coming down from, from where they were, uh, not so long ago, but ultimately, uh, and again, to get, to you know, the stuff that really matters, um, this chart, in my opinion, tells us a lot about, uh, how to think about the world today. Uh, three snapshots of the yield curve um in green where we started 2023 uh in uh dark uh black uh where we ended 2023 and in, and in salmon where we were at the end of uh, september and what do we see we see that basically the market driven rates uh you know one year treasury rates and beyond ended the year right about where they started so the yeah, yeah? The, so the just, huge just distinction define, is the short end. These, uh, Jonathan, if you could just define. So the green curve exactly is telling us what? Where the yield curve was on January 3rd of 2023. Okay. So that's just like yesterday. And... No, this is a year ago. This is. This oh, a year is... ago. You're, okay. Right. And, and where it is today uh, is like the black, is the Correct. black curve. Correct. And. Uh, and, and where, salmon was kind of the you know the middle. peak the peak of the yield uh rising ish uh in the fall right so, and so what's, what's really interesting is again kind of the long the long market rates are basically where are back to where they started the year obviously the shorter end of the curve largely policy driven are much higher um and so two things you know worth noting on this uh, if you think about some of the stress we experienced last year, uh, importantly, uh, in the banking system, uh, the picture doesn't look better today than it did a year ago. In fact, arguably, it looks worse because the, their funding cost is higher than than where it was back at the beginning of 2023. Uh, but fortunately, uh, long rates came down uh, in the last quarter of the year. Um, I, I, I hesitate to even think about what the world would it look like. Uh, stepping into 2024, if if the long rates, uh, you know, if the 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 20 year rate was still at five percent uh, today, mm -hmm. right? Um, so yeah, so that's where we are. Uh, and if you think about the you know the major surprises that we that we experienced in 2023, I think number one is uh, the residential uh, real estate market being as strong uh, as it turned out to be. As as we know, even Jay Powell. Uh, went out of his way in mid-2022 to encourage uh, young households to not buy a house just yet, just in case the prices came down. And of course, that that didn't bear out. Um, second surprise, and this is something that you and I have talked about before uh, on this podcast, is uh, financial stress. Uh, it is uh, surprising that after the um, uh, bankruptcy of, of Silicon Valley Bank and, and First Republic, uh, ultimately, all we had was a, a little blip along the way when it came to financial stress. Uh, and of course, uh, we know what the answer uh, to that conundrum is. It's the fact that the Fed kind of jumped in and, and helped. 
by basically subsidizing the banking system through uh, the, you know, the better part of 2023, telling uh, banks, regional banks, they could turn in their their bonds, uh, pretend that they were worth par when they were probably worth 80 cents on the dollar. Uh, and by the way, uh, pay a funding cost of, uh, you know, below where, what they could earn on on deposited balances. So it begs the question, what happens to this graph as we proceed into 2024, as, you know, some of these facilities that were put in place are wound down uh, later this spring, uh, this spring. And then the last one, which I think is, again, as you and I are are actual economists when we don't talk about markets. Um, and um, I think this one is just unequivocally good news. Uh, we actually saw a, a jump up in productivity in 2023. And and while we know that this, you know, productivity is incredibly volatile, and so we have to see more of it for it to be convincing. Um, productivity is obviously the secret sauce to economic growth. Uh, and so if, if we actually see uh productivity output per hour uh improve uh particularly after the kind of the horrific readings that we saw in the kind of retooling uh post uh covid uh that would be really good news for for the economy for the US economy and the global economy um you know there was this this period of of productivity growth in the uh mid 90s to mid 2000s uh, and then we've been kind of stuck in neutral for a long time. So it'd be good to to get productivity back up. So these to me were the surprises. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, so we're now heading to about two, two and a half percent uh, real wage growth. That's, you know, productivity should translate into real wage, uh, real wages. So mm -hmm. uh, that's good news for, uh, I guess, Biden, if he can convey it, if, uh, the, uh, the, the big run-up, uh, a lot of this is compositional, too. I think we should point out that when you have, for example, uh, COVID hit, uh, we had firms laying off their least productive workers, retaining their most productive. So the average productivity goes up, even though yeah. fundamentally there's still people out there who are equally productive. Um, I think that's right. I mean, the, the huge spike you see right at the beginning of COVID is basically companies going, quote unquote, more efficient, uh, which which is code for laying people off. Uh, and the huge decline we saw afterwards, of course, is, you know, a lot of people taking jobs that honestly, they weren't trained to do, you know, my, my view is the fact that 2023 had had, had decent productivity growth is, you know, the people that were hired to work in restaurants finally figured out how to cook the, the meals and the people that were put in, in offices, you know, finally figured out where the copy machine was. Um, so, you know, that's great. Uh, but let's see if it, if it continues. Um, but yeah, I'm an economist, uh, you know, people like to make fun of us as, as you know, Larry. Um, but, uh, you know, I really think of myself as a financial economist, uh, which means I think about risk. I think about risk all day long. Uh, and, uh, you mentioned Bob Merton, uh, in your intro, you know, Bob has this fantastic saying about, uh, focusing, leaning into what he calls, uh, long shelf life models, you know, models that are simple, but they have the distinct advantage of having long shelf life. Um, you know, my best version of that when it comes to uh, thinking about the future is, look, for anything you care about, just just make three buckets, a really bad scenario, uh, you know, a middle scenario, which I call another day at the office and, and a very good scenario. Uh, by the way, uh, another day at the office is most days. Uh, and, you know, I don't need to ever hear that the S&P was up, you know, three quarters of a basis point today. I just that's that's not news and, and it's not relevant. Uh, but once you have the three scenarios, uh, the three buckets, figure out what they look like and figure out what the odds of, of those buckets are. And, you know, kind of if you think about decision making under uncertainty, which is what this is about, uh, a pretty decent heuristic for a good decision is simple. Uh, it's a decision that doesn't look silly in the most likely scenario. Nobody wants to look silly when the obvious happens, uh, which is why people that are perma bears and perma bulls end up looking silly. You can't just always say the same thing. Um, make decisions that don't look naive in the second most likely scenario. That's literally the difference between being an amateur and a professional. 
Uh, and of course, the decisions that don't blow you up in, in the least likely scenario. And that's the definition of risk management. So that's my model for today. That's my model. So as you can tell, not overly mathematical, uh, despite my, my reputation. Um, but it's a, it's a very sensible way to, to think about the future. And with that, um, I'm, uh, I'm excited to actually start talking about 2024. And, and you and I, um, I think you know Alice, and I, I, I know Alison Schrager. Uh, she's now a columnist at, uh, at Bloomberg. She's, she's a, a really solid thinker. And she recently put out this column, uh, you know, suggesting that 2024 is the year uh, the economy will stop being weird. And, and I hope she's right, but I put a question mark at the end because, you know, we've been, we've been handed a lot of weird uh, recently, and I guess it, it could kind of go on. Um, but, uh, you know, given the model that that I just laid out, um, despite the historical record suggesting that the soft landing is, you know, on an unconditional basis, very unlikely, it seems like we might actually be getting it. And, and um, in a weird way, I think we should be cheering for that. Um, I think that'd be fabulous if we did. Um, including because I'm not in the business of, of hoping for bad things for, um, you know, our, our civil servants, uh, the good people at the fed. Uh, and I'm certainly not in the business of hoping for bad things for the U S economy. Um, but let's remember that the, the, the soft landing is one in which growth would be slower. Um, it's not, it's not a, uh, bonanza of an economy. It's one in which labor gets a little bit less comfortable. It means, you, you know, we were just talking about wage growth. Uh, wage growth probably is is declining and unemployment is probably uh, ticking up. Uh, and if we see inflation continue to decline, we should expect it to decline slowly uh, and with uh, a good amount of volatility. Uh, one of the things that we know from looking at empirical data is high volatility regimes, environments are also high vol high inflation volatility regimes. Um, so uh, high inflation comes along with high inflation volatility. But if we get the the soft landing, it's, uh, you know, the good news is we're probably going to see a little bit more residential activity and, and mortgage activity. Um, honestly, to me, the good news in that isn't that the prices are going to stay where they are. It's that we're probably going to figure out finally what what residential real estate is worth. Because I'm not convinced the prices we saw last year uh, were all that representative. Um, the the more uh, ambiguous part of the picture is commercial real estate. I just I'm not convinced that a you know a soft landing scenario is is one in which commercial real estate heals. Um, you know, hopefully um, we get enough time for people to make. Uh, provisions for you know where the real prices are when it comes to office space and and you know the rest of the so uh, a, on the you know residential uh, real estate uh, the the fact that prices have kind of not plunged given that uh, uh, mortgage rates got up to uh, seven eight at the top eight at the top and and they're still uh, close to seven um, I, I take it. Uh, it's remarkable that, that that the prices. I mean, maybe it's just su such a thin market; nobody's buying and nobody's selling, so that the data are in some ways misleading. That if this kind of frozen in time a little bit, yeah. And then on the commercial real estate, you have markets like San Francisco, where I understand the vacancy rates like fifty percent, or maybe that's Chicago. I've heard Chicago is just uh, awful too. One. Uh, on vacancies uh, yeah. and then and then there's also the banks owning a lot of commercial real estate especially i think mid-sized banks yeah. owning Re regional banks say so regional banks yeah that not owning in the sense of owning the the buildings but owning the the debt that, that they've made the loans and then they're making loans to uh subsidiaries of companies developing companies that can go bankrupt and then you can't go after the headquarters because they're a sub and they're a separate separate entity so if you're a regional bank uh you know it's you you own it and you end up taking over the building that's half empty and then the question is you know i've seen studies which suggest that uh, if valuations go down like by 10 percent of these 
commercial uh, properties that you have a good chunk of the regional banks going, you know, being marked to market underwater, uh, yeah. negative, bankrupt, which, yeah. uh, you know, brings us back to the prospect for banking crisis. Uh, I know the Fed is, you know, pretty good in convincing people that they can put out brush fires, but when it becomes a, you know, uh, uh, what's, what's, what's the other word? Uh, I guess, uh, like conflagration that being, takes over the entire, you know, region, uh, we're in a different world of hurt. I, I think that's right. Want more money, less risk, and a better life? Buy Money Magic, a new book by Lawrence Kotlikoff, Boston University economist, personal finance expert, and best-selling author. Whether it's education, career, marriage, housing, investing, retirement, social security, IRA, or 401k decisions, Money Magic delivers scores of secrets to raise your living standard. Financial journalist Jane Bryant Quinn says Money Magic is a must-read. Nobel laureate George Akerlof says Money Magic is quite probably the best financial advice book ever written. Financial guru John Malden says, you'll love this amazing book. It's full of wit, wisdom, and startling paths to a better financial life. And columnist Scott Burns calls Money Magic a funny, brilliant read, offering wildly powerful, unconventional choices that can literally change your life. Get Lawrence Kotlikoff's Money Magic today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and independent booksellers. Um. And so that takes me to the second scenario, which which is basically the one you're starting to spell out. Look, if if and it doesn't take a lot, um, but if we do get uh, you know more of a slowdown, and and it it might just be um, you know kind of a return to uh, companies seeking efficiency. By the way, one of the things that you know is worth talking about on the commercial real estate side of things uh, is the fiscal part of it. You know, uh, with these empty. Uh, office towers and in you know kind of downtowns all over the nation tax receipts can quickly be down um yes the the regional banks might be kind of you know doing the old extend and pretend or whatever they call it now i think it's uh pray and delay is the new expression um but uh you know there's a lot of praying and a lot of delaying in the system if if tax receipts come down um that might that might get pretty ugly um, but yeah, yeah, look, if, if we get the, if we get anything that trips up the soft landing, it probably looks like a harder landing and it's one in which, you know, people lose jobs. And if you don't have a job, you're probably going to be paying your credit card bill and you're probably going to be paying your mortgage before you go out for dinner. And, and we know where that takes us. Um, and it's a world in which the banks, you know, keep tight. It's a, it's a world in which, you know, commercial real estate, uh, trouble spills out. And I think it's finally a world in which, you know, residential real estate, uh, moves in the same direction as, as the rest of the, the real estate stack. And that's right. down. It's probably about 10% of the workforce may work for state and local government is my guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, don't, I don't know, but yeah. And, you know, look, there's a there's a distinct possibility that we should be on the lookout for a, you know, a reacceleration. Again, I, I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be and I'm not a, a doomsday person. Uh, it is it is possible that productivity growth and and the jobs that we've created can, you know, generate a, a virtuous cycle when it comes to the U.S. consumer. It is distinctly possible that uh, we figure out a way to stimulate ourselves a little bit more. And I don't care if you're China. Uh, or if you're, you know, the U.S. Congress, if it becomes uh, politically expedient, uh, I would not be surprised if we saw more fiscal stimulus, uh, whether or not that's a good idea is, is a whole other conversation. But yeah, I'm, uh, let me just raise this issue with you. Uh, maybe it's the least likely, maybe it's more likely. I mean, we had three American soldiers killed yesterday by uh, Iranian-backed yeah. uh, uh, agents and uh uh if we attack tomorrow you know if tonight we attack uh iranian uh facilities maybe in the gulf or maybe in the mainland and they start sending missiles at saudi yeah. arabia's uh storage tanks of oil uh like they did before where nobody ever responded to that which i found remarkable uh the price of oil is going to presumably shoot up overnight. We've got 
And now we're in a different world when it comes to inflation. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I mean, and again, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll skip over the, I'll skip over a couple of things, but, you know, by the way, this is my interpretation of a lot of what we're discussing, which is it doesn't take a lot for, you know, the, the power of stupid people to manifest itself uh, in the world. And by stupid um, people, we're talking about some of the, you know, yeah, but, the Ayatollah you know, or Putin. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, again, I think, you know, to, to cut to the chase, I think geopolitics uh, and and particularly the the prospect of of broader conflict is unequivocally you know the scariest thing we're facing this year, um, and and you just talked about two things that are critical. I think one is kind of the inflation um, you know pathway, and that's kind of the most uh, easy to understand, but also the least worrisome. Yes, we know that we could easily see inflation spike. Uh, if this continues, the the chart on the left is showing you the uh, the cost of transit uh, of goods, and and you can see how it's you know rapidly uh, come up uh, recently, given what's going on with the Red Sea and so on and so forth. So yeah, you could see oil spike, and you see the cost of moving things around the world go up, uh, but nothing compares to you know what hot war would actually bring upon us. And and by the way, again, I, I don't think uh, the Taiwan war scenario is is the more likely of the scary scenarios we're facing my hope is is china is a more rational actor uh than you know uh russia or iran but to your point when when the missiles start flying that's that's been a um a, a guaranteed recipe uh not only for for human suffering but for inflation for as long as humans have been going at it um in, in this regard um, but to go back to, you know, the, a couple of things that, that you started to, to talk about, um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna highlight this one is the U S consumer is, is hating this, this Goldilocks economy. So, you know, that clearly has one political implications, but, but importantly, it's telling you something about where the households are, um, you know, they're facing trade-offs in the background that, that may not be obvious to us um, otherwise. But the one that, you know, really uh, to me is concerning is is a return to uh, stress in the financial system. Um, a couple of data points here. I, I don't think, you know, repo uh, market trouble is as likely today as it was in, in 2019. But, uh, you know, count me as as one who's on the lookout for what I call Bankalooza. I think, uh, you know, SVB redux is is absolutely possible. Um, you know, the savings and loans crisis uh, teaches us a lot about forbearance. And, and right now it looks like forbearance has, quote unquote, worked. Um, but will it? Uh, you know, I'm not convinced. Uh, and we know right now that, you know, the, the economics of regional banking uh, are upside down. Banks are telling you that that's the case by by tightening, uh, um, you know, lending standards. Um, but it's not clear uh, how we get out from under under you know a, a proper mark to market event on uh, you know the the balance sheets of the, of right. the banks. And the regional banks are, as I understand it, uh, issuing you know borrowing money at a much higher rate. It sounds like the SNL crisis, which lasted for nine years, it was a slow, yeah. slow uh, torture rather than rapid torture, uh, financial torture. You know, so where they're they're borrowing at a high rate because they're and then they're put it at high risk to, uh, you know, uh, I think it's in effect to to hit a certain number on the roulette wheel, or whatever, uh, and and save themselves, but. Uh, because, you know, if you're in a situation where just doing the same old, same old means you're going for good, but you can borrow to put it all on red 43, uh, you might as well put it on red 43, right? Yeah. And and by the way, I think this has, uh, you know, the way to think about that is, is you know, extreme risk taking as becoming... Um, uh, uh, you know, your last hope for survival. You know, I think a lot about, um, you know, what I would describe almost as career management in the financial services and, and in banking. And, and again, no one's going to put themselves out of business. That's, you know, so they, 
you know, there's the last ditch hope, right? It's like whatever that cheap movie where, you know, you can't pay the rent, but you go to Vegas to bet the last hundred bucks you got in your pocket to see if you can just finally make it. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of that going on and, and to backtrack a little bit, um, you know, I worry about it when it comes to, um, the pricing of risky assets, um, in general, and this has implications for risk taking the way you're describing it, which is, you know, taking, uh, you know, high flying risk, hoping that you hit, you know, um, uh, you know, the roulette table, just the way you want. But the reality of it is, if you look at implied volatilities on, on equity indices, implied volatility has been very low relative to historical standards. Um, that's number one. And and the spread on, on risky credit uh, has been low as well. Um, and, and that, you know, again, it's interesting because in, in 2023, last year, public markets were fairly tight when it came to credit spreads and private markets were pretty wide because people were getting ready for, you know, more trouble. Um, and what we're seeing now is uh, the direction of travel being in private markets, uh, you know, actually getting tighter on the credit spreads because people are are hoping that the worst is behind them. But, you know, my my anticipation, again, going back to the kind of the three scenario um, kind of mental model, the most likely um, is certainly a tick up in volatility. It's hard to see how we stay in this very low volatility environment for much longer. Um, and if we do get the soft landing, then hopefully uh, it's it's you know equity volatility going up a little bit, credit spreads widening a little bit, things being you know a little bit more attractive across the the spectrum of fixed income beyond uh, you know T bills. Um, but the concern, of course, is if we if we hit anything that resembles you know a harder landing, uh, you could easily see VIX you know top forty. You could easily see uh, credit spreads blow out. Um, and yeah, that might prove out to be the land of opportunities um, for people that have the, uh, you know, demeanor necessary to invest in a crisis. Um, but it could get it could get dicey. It could get interesting. And and honestly, as worried as I am about, um, you know, a real stress test, if you will, um, I'm almost more worried about what happens if risk plays dead for a lot longer because when volatility is subdued, people start doing things that are not economically motivated. Um, and again, I, I go back to this kind of career management concept. Um, it's really uncomfortable to tell your clients year after year, yeah, there wasn't a lot to do this year. And so people kind of go out on the on the risk you know, spectrum and so on and so forth because what choice do they have? They have to show activity. Uh, but that's when, you know, people position themselves in a, in a really fragile way, which, you know, again, kind of takes me back to this beautiful slide. Yeah. So <laughs> the uh, I guess the question is, is, is this all feel like uh, 2007 where, you know, everything's looking rosy and then, uh, <laughs> you know, everything falls apart uh, pretty rapidly, the uh, so, well, I mean, you have a, you put out these three scenarios. Do you have a uh, preferred scenario? Or you put like equal weight. No, I do. Uh, I do. And again, I, you know, as I, as I uh, make clear at the beginning, I, I look, it is very hard to predict what will, what will happen. We know that uh, for what it's worth. I, I think 2008 seems uh, unlikely. Um, but, uh, you know, it's worth considering again, I, I personally think, uh, we, you know, we are in a decent place for, you know, the soft landing and we should again, hope that that turns out to be the case. And, and it's worth highlighting the difference between, uh, analysis and hope. Um, it is very possible that we continue to see, you know, an economy that, that defies, uh, you know, the stress that we throw at it. Um, and, uh, you know, a kind of a, a normalization, a further normalization. I, I, however, if, if anything, you know, goes sideways, I think we're, you know, the, the prospects of a harder, uh, landing, uh, you know, are pretty decent. Um, 
you know, people talk about, uh, you know, are we back to the the roaring twenties or something? I think that's, I think that's a, a long shot. I think we have real issues to contend with that are going to come back to, to, you know, uh, require some attention. I mean, think about again, even in a, in a, in a happy scenario, some version of one to $2 trillion of, of commercial real estate debt has to be, uh, refinanced, uh, you know, over the next Right. Question. How financially secure do you feel? Do you have enough money to retire? How much is enough? And if you don't have enough, how can you possibly find that money before you retire? Tough questions. One smart answer. Maxify. Maxify is the powerful online planning tool that takes the guesswork out of retirement. Maxify compares your assets against your fixed expenses to calculate how much you can safely spend every year for the rest of your life. And it shows you safe ways to find more money. Developed by Boston University economist Lawrence Kotlikoff, Maxify makes a complicated problem like retirement planning simple. Maxify. Powerful. Accurate. Easy to use. Want some peace of mind? Make the smart choice. Maxify. Visit Maxify.com today to start planning. That's Maxify with an I. M-A-X-I-F-I. Maxify.com. So we got the uh, commercial uh, real estate. We've got um, whether housing prices will, you know, mortgage rates are staying high because lenders don't want to get burned again by inflation. So uh, that experience could keep rates high for quite a while. That could ultimately drop prices, the uh, fiscal implications of the cities kind of emptying out. No. We have, you, know, you got Ukraine, you know, they could, the Russians were to break through if you could, and the Republicans keep, uh, keep us from rearming uh, Ukraine for much longer. Um, and they're on the border with, uh, with Poland uh, and maybe start moves. And then if Trump gets reelected, uh, and pulls out of NATO in effect, or you know, that's yeah. the reading. We have Europe that's basically disarmed, it seems. They, all the production of military equipment seems to be happening in the US, most of it, not all of it, but they're spending, you know, if Germany's spending 2% of GDP on military, we were spending like 10% in 1950. In, yeah, in, in Europe is not ready. World War II, we were spending 25%. And Jeremy's talking about going up to two or two and a half. Um, there's just some lack of reality here. Uh, Putin won't, if he's given the green light, he'll move right into Finland. And uh, if Trump's elected, uh, there's no, I don't think there's any reason to believe that he would actually uh, defend uh Finland, uh, to tell you the truth, I mean, well, I, I don't recall him and Zelensky being particularly good pals. No, and uh, so then you've got Iran. Uh, yeah, that could happen unfold very quickly, and you've got the Houthis. Uh, are we going to be in a land war there in Yemen? And then there's still Gaza, um, and uh, so a uh, lot to uh, be concerned about. Yeah, in, I, in I, I think that's right. Supposedly good times. Uh, <laughs> so I hope we didn't scare a lot of people today, but uh, uh, there is a safe investment out there that's quite a, a decent one at the moment, which are inflation index bonds. 30-year tips are yielding like 2% real. That's the highest rate um, observed in uh, decades. And the fact that they're so high is kind of indicative. If you go to zvbody.com, you can see the latest values. Um, I just looked today again, 2.09. 2 uh, the fact that they're so high is kind of indicative of the fact that people might be overconfident in this market about the future because uh, the uh, if you really thought things were risky you'd, and inflation- them up. You'd be bidding, yeah, you'd be uh, bidding up the price and the yield would go, be going down, but we're seeing the opposite. So, um, yeah, there's a warning here in, in today's conversation. I want to thank you, Jonathan, so much for coming on to extend thank that. You. I know it's not uh, for sure warning, but um, 
the real issue is how you manage your portfolio in this period. Uh, Jonathan is certainly one great source for uh, any, anyone who would like to uh, talk to him about getting his services, uh, procuring his services. But let me just also put in a plug for um, for uh, my company software, Maxify Planner. If you go and run the full risk investing and you run different scenarios about inflation, uh, you can see what um, you might be facing uh, uh, into the future. Of course, we're not necessarily tracking in our project, you know, in our simulations of, of the uh, the returns on, on, on the market um, assets. We're not, uh, you know, conditioning on current events. We're just saying, what, what's the long-term history of these securities uh, performances? Uh, but certainly you can look at, you know, whether you're diversified enough so that the downside risk is is limited to your living standard. Anyway, um, great to have you back, Jonathan. Thank We're you. Thanks for having right, me. Right away. And uh, uh, we'll get you back again soon, soon again. Sounds good. Thank you so much. And again, if anybody wants, um, you know, to reach out, uh, my email address is on the screen, Jonathan at trussard.com, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at T-R-E-U-S-S-A-R-D.com uh, and my phone number here as well. Uh, I will note if you just go to my website, trussard.com, um, you know, people live on a, you know, range of, of desire to, uh, to engage. I would love to talk to people who actually want to, uh, discuss their portfolio and, and I would be thrilled to do that. But if you, if all you want to do is subscribe to my newsletter, uh, I, I love to again, share my thoughts. Um, I tend to not be a spammer. I limit myself to once or twice a month. Uh, and so go to my website and uh, subscribe. Great. Okay. Thanks again, Jonathan. Thank you. How financially secure do you feel? Imagine a tool to help you make smart financial decisions. A tool that factors in all your financial data and shows what you can safely spend every year for the rest of your life. That tool is...